Welcome. If you're looking to unlock the secrets of the mind, to live a life that's free of care and anxiety, and to be the happiest you that you can be, then you're in the right place. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast. Hello and welcome to Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast with me, your host, Neil West, and I'm joined today by Hayley Kearns, my good friend and co-host. Hi Hayley, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Neil, yourself? Oh, I'm very well, thank you too. Right, today's programme, the title is The Hitchhiker's Guide to Biscuit Theft. Yeah. And it's inspired by a story allegedly told by Douglas Adams as a true story, uh, so I'll tell you the story now. So this actually did happen to a real person, and the real person was me, Douglas Adams. I'd gone to catch a train, this was in April 1976, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. I was a bit early for the train, I'd gotten the time of the train wrong. I went to get myself a newspaper to do the crossword, and a cup of coffee and a packet of biscuits. I went and sat at a table. I want you to picture the scene. It's very important that you get this clear in your mind. Here's the table, newspaper, cup of coffee and packet of biscuits. There's a guy sitting opposite me, a perfectly ordinary looking guy wearing a business suit carrying a briefcase. It didn't look like he was going to do anything weird. What he did was this. He suddenly leaned across, picked up the packet of biscuits, tore it open, took one out and ate it. I know, how rude. Now, this I have to say is the sort of thing British people are very bad at dealing with. There's nothing in our background, upbringing or education that teaches you how to deal with someone who, in broad daylight, has just (laughs) stolen your biscuits. You know, what could happen if this had been South Central Los Angeles, there could have very quickly been gunfire, (laughs) helicopters coming in, CNN, that sort of thing. But in the end, I did what any red-blooded Englishman would do, I ignored it. (laughs) And I stared at the newspaper and took a sip of coffee and tried to do a clue in the newspaper. I couldn't do anything, and I thought, what am I going to do? In the end, I thought, nothing for it, I'll just have to go for it, and I tried very hard not to notice the fact that the packet was already mysteriously opened. I took out a biscuit for myself, (laughs) and I thought, that settled him. But it hadn't, because a moment or two later, he did it again. (laughs) He took another biscuit. Having not mentioned it the first time, it was somehow even harder to raise the subject the second time around. Hmm, Excuse me, I couldn't help but notice. It didn't really work. We went through the whole packet like this. And when I say the whole packet, I mean there were only about eight biscuits, but it felt like a lifetime. He took one, I took one, he took one, I took one. Finally, when we got to the end, he stood up and walked away. We all exchanged meaningful looks. I breathed a sigh of relief and sat back. A moment or two later, the train was coming in, so I tossed back the rest of my coffee, stood up, picked up the newspaper, and under the newspaper was my packet of biscuits. <laughs> Somewhere out there is a guy with the exact same story as me, except he's missing the punchline. Oh, so he's going to want to think he just started talking into his biscuits. Mm. Now, in ah. fairness, this story has been around quite a long time. Although Douglas Adams claimed it happened yeah. to him, he actually retold the story in, as a fictional account in um, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Yeah. And traditionally, it's been around longer than that. Um, but it doesn't stop it being a good story. There are lots of non-British variants. But the good thing with it um, is that it provides social insight into behaviours, attitudes, and even snack choices in different mm-hmm. countries. But the story splits into two types. 
The first has the other person as someone sweet and harmless, an old man, little old lady, a child. And the story plays on the shock value that someone like this would steal from you, and that you just try to ignore it. The reveal of your original biscuits then delivers you the guilt that actually they were in the position you thought you were in, and you were scoffing their biscuits. In the second, the other person is someone the storyteller might disapprove of or have conflict with. US variants play on racial and gender stereotypes. It could be a black person, a hippie, a Mexican worker, a communist and so on. Other countries are similar. Australians might include an Aboriginal team. Indians might have someone of a lower caste. In, someone, in England, it might be some rough, hard Irish labourer. In these versions, the conflict of the story comes from a I'll show them, they won't intimidate me perspective, followed by humility when you realise that the other person was the one who was wronged. But such legends are interesting because they don't usually split off into two such drastically different messages within the same story. And can you give a little microcosm, a sliver of insight into culture, uh, of place and time. So and the, the reason I've chosen this is because I thought we could talk about judgment. Okay, because that's really what I think, in essence, the story is about judging the other person based on your misunderstanding. Okay? Yeah. I think that Han talks about wherever you find yourself judging another, go back to your breath and ask, how can I see this differently? Can I look more deeply to better understand their suffering, their difficulty? And often you find that your judgment of another is based on your own misunderstanding of them and of the situation. You've only got half the truth. So Adams's judgment of this biscuit snaffling person <laughs> was based on their only having half the facts at their disposal, but still making that judgment. And the other person was making the same judgment, but they never got to find the truth. No, and they opened the biscuits also. Mm. So, so they believed that they were their biscuits when they opened them. Yeah, so they opened them because they were their biscuits. Mm. It's his biscuits from underneath. But maybe they were just thinking, oh, cheeky, you've had one. Or maybe they were thinking, well, oh, it tells us it tells us a little bit about truth as well, because both people believed their story was true, mm. but neither was the complete truth. Both had elements of truth. Yeah. Like when the children come to you with complaints about each other, there's truth in both stories, but neither tells the complete truth because neither has the complete understanding of the mm. scenario. So only when you get to the end of the story do you see the complete truth. Up to that point, you've only got half the truth to make your judgment on. So the danger of being judgmental is you're being judgmental, but not necessarily on the situation as it truly is. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this book, which is by Dr. Joy Weber, and it's Why Mindfulness is Not Enough. Okay. Now, you're concerned by the title, aren't you? Right? Actually, mindfulness is enough if you read it, because they think equanimity is not mindfulness. Or balance. Whereas yeah. I, I would argue equanimity is one of the ten conditions of mindfulness, you know, that we see things in balance. We've talked about it before. So perhaps that sells more books <laughs> if you have well, the title Why Mindfulness Is yeah. Not Enough. And then you actually think, well, if equanimity is part of mindfulness, mindfulness is enough. However, that's a moot point. The book itself is very good. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about this. So the world is designed to play on your likes and dislikes. This is how we're all really judgmental. If I said, are you judgmental? You'd probably say, oh, I don't think so. But you know, maybe I have an instinctive feeling mm -hmm. I'm a little bit, but I'm not as judgmental as those other people. <laughs> <laughs> right? But in fact, the world is designed to play on your likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. The mind will gravitate towards pleasure without even noticing. Look at the way we furnish our homes with things we choose because we like them over others. If we like and desire what we can't have, it leads us onto a hedonistic treadmill of over-attachment and frustration. 
Maybe there are some objects that you're neutral towards or things that you actively don't like, a crooked picture or a chip in the paintwork. Relate that, say, to media-inspired concern about migrants. It's no actual effect on your life, but quickly becomes an unshakable point of view. Marketing plays on our desires or fears to sell us products and services. Most news and media moralises as good or bad and feeds our discrimination. Though these content, though these constant invitations are to be judgmental, we build our sense of self and thus become entirely selfish as a result. Yet most of us believe we're not judgmental. We don't consider our intrinsic discriminations about skin colour, geographical origin, weight, attractiveness, social class or whatever to be judgmental. Anyway, it's not being judgmental if you're right, is it? <laughs> said the man with the biscuits. How can we practice being non-judgmental when we're being so every second of every day? So I thought that was interesting that yeah. just how you furnish your home is about being judgmental. You know, the media is encouraging us. It's this idea that things are either good and we're attracted to them or bad and we're repelled by them, or neutral and we don't have any particularly strong feelings. Yeah. And if you watch the news, the news is very clearly divided into bad stuff that makes you angry or sad, and happy stuff that makes you feel all warm yeah. and fluffy. You know, and that tends to be what the news does, doesn't it? It, it? Very rarely would you, because it would be boring, I suppose, if the news was neutral. No crimes were committed in Aspel today. Oh, well, that's all right then. <laughs> so, um, there are different kinds of judgments known as the domains of judgments, which I know you'd like to hear about. Yes. Yeah, the four domains of judgment. So you have innate judgments. These are our basic instincts to like, dislike, or feel neutral about certain things. You can be born with these. This is like your biology, yeah. isn't it? You know, you would, if I pinched you hard on the arm, shy away, you would not like that. If I caressed, well, you might not like <laughs> it. As a baby, if I yeah. caressed and soothed your head, yeah. you might be drawn to that. Okay, um, so you're born with these innate judgments about what you like or dislike. Social judgments, this is how we're shaped or moulded by our society, how we're influenced by the media, for example. Um, you know, I, I wasn't concerned about Albania until the media started screaming at me that I should be terrified of the influx of Albanian migrants taking over Great Britain, you know, all 20,000 of them. Um, but I'm, I'm revealing my own political judgments just in that comment. Um, so, how do we change our behaviours so that we can fit in? You know, none of us like to stand out from society, we like to try and fit in. Um, so social judgment can be reinforced or challenged by our innate judgments. So you might, as an innate judgment, not like certain things, but you may tolerate them because the social judgment is stronger, the compelling need to fit, fit in. in means that you would perhaps suppress some of your innate judgments. Mm -hmm. okay. um, interactive judgments, this is through interaction with someone. So how quickly are you categorising someone as fun, boring, unhelpful? You know, in a conversation, if you met me for the first time, you'd quickly pigeonhole me as a certain type of person. And it would be hard to change that because those initial um, judgments are quite powerful, aren't they? The first, the first um, impression, make a good impression, you know, your first impressions count. Um, here, we're living in the mind instead of the moment. We're allowing our mind to make decisions for us. Uh, and finally, reflective judgments. So these are made after the experience when we categorise it as good, bad or neutral. You know, that meal we went out for last night, you know, was great, terrible, yeah. 
you know you make these reflective judgments after the event but it can add to our negative story and be a cause of stress and anxiety you know that the conversation we had at the party last night at the time didn't seem to bother us but on reflection can cause us more suffering the danger is that from a place of subjectivity we build our rigid judgments about the world it strengthens our sense of self and determines our worldview. Our natural desire to seek pleasure and avoid pain is an obstacle to our becoming truly compassionate. Okay. Right. Would you like some? Uh, so this is I'm going back into Dr. Joey Weber's book because there are some case studies. Okay. So this is um, you get a negative situation, a positive situation, and a neutral situation. Okay. Okay. So we'll do um, we'll do the negative situation first. Okay. So, um, what would you recommend once we get to the end of the scenario, kind of thing? How, how would you re it's about reframing the situation? Right. Okay. okay. Tim applies for a job. He's got more than enough qualifications and experience for it. He's sure he'll get it, and excitedly tells his family and friends about it. The interview. Unfortunately, Tim does not get the job, and this creates a number of negative feelings for him. Tim recognizes in himself that this is a feeling of dislike. In fact, his self-esteem, his self-confidence and self-worth have taken a huge knock. He recognises that all his feelings are negative and heavy and there's a great deal of emotional pain associated with the experience. Tim recognises he's suffered a great deal because of this experience, but what's making it worse is all the mental stories he finds himself going over in his head. He recalls past experiences of rejection, those times when his parents questioned him about if he was ever going to make something of himself. The thoughts that have emerged, such as you're useless and try for something easier because you're no good, have begun to circulate in his mind. He sees that his mind has identified with this negative experience. Okay, so what, what might you suggest to Tim there? His, his, his real negative bias is kicking yeah, in yeah, there, isn't and it? He's going, and he's going back, isn't he? Back past. into his past and past sufferings, mm. yeah. So he needs to focus on the, the present moment, doesn't he? And maybe, well, if this happened to somebody, then I would suggest that they got some feedback from people who interviewed them and then look forward, yeah. make plans. Make plans, look yeah. forward, okay. Well, shall I tell you what it suggests here? Um, Tim's wise mind begins, begins to counteract. He thinks to himself, this is just a tiny moment in the entirety of my life. Mm -hmm. It's come and gone, this feeling of negativity will soon pass. Tim understands why he's feeling this way and recognises that his mind is labelled and identified with a bad experience and there are a host of other negative things are trying to creep in, but his inner wisdom tells him it will pass. So while acknowledging what's happening, he lessens his identification with the process and keeps things in perspective, making the difficulty pass more quickly. Yeah. I had a, a, there was a situation recently with a, a colleague of mine who applied for a role, mm -hmm. didn't get it, and I... Um, I suggested that she had feed, she got feedback and I said and I said I must I can't even remember what I said but I must have said something like but you know it's all right you're all right to be upset mm. and then the next day she said to me thank thank you for saying that because everybody else was saying oh snap out of it you'll be fine yeah, it's just yeah. the girls that have turned the corner she said but actually being given that opportunity for you just it's, to it's say it's okay to be upset yeah, that feeling will pass yeah. And, and by recognising it, it stops other negative feelings yeah, creeping in. It's, it's, it's just that it's one issue that you're upset that, about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Tim's wise mind accepts what's happening. He stands up to what's happening, not by blocking it out, as you say, mm -hmm. but by acknowledging what's occurring. 
He knows he's bigger than his thoughts and he disentangles himself from a sticky negativity cycle that's begun to happen. He's totally accepting of what happened. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, then, this is how you reframe it in a positive gratitude way. Okay. He thinks to himself that he's glad someone got the job and he's happy for their good fortune. It's big isn't it? But you can see how that would help his own self-esteem. Yeah. He hopes it turns out well for them and that they're able to have great impact. So we do this when we do the loving kindness. May they be happy, may they enjoy their lives. Even if it's somebody that's not necessarily helped us, um, it still helps us to wish them well. And Tim acknowledges that every human being in the world must go through the same highs and lows in life and begins to remember that everyone deserves compassion. Um, he considers that many people in the world don't even have the opportunity to apply for jobs. So from that perspective, he's already lucky just to have had the opportunity to apply. He wishes everyone in the world was able to get the job they really wanted and it would make them happy. And even though this was a negative experience, Tim reframes it as a positive one, with the wisdom of knowing that things are continually changing and understanding how his mind tried to make it all worse, and the wisdom of the human condition, Tim feels as if this experience has given him greater resilience. He can respond better now to what life throws at him. He can now embrace all things that happen to him, accepts and turns towards his judgments, and dissolves them with wisdom and compassion. There you go. Yeah. He's a nice bloke, I'd have given him the job. <laughs> He'll get the next He'll one. He'll get the next one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, Shall we do um, a positive situation? Oh, no. Okay, so this is Irene. Irene wins some money at a local event and is really pleased. Irene regards this as a pleasurable situation. Irene recognises in herself that this is a feeling of like. In fact, she loves it. Gosh, it's like you were to raffle. <laughs> fix, <laughs> fix. Win. Yeah, win, fix. As she hardly ever wins anything, and it's given her a rush of excitement and adrenaline, she recognises that all her feelings are positive. Irene recognises that she's really benefited from winning this money and recalls all her past experiences of success. Her inner voice begins to say, you deserve this, and this is because you're a nice person. She sees that her mind is identified with this positive experience. Mm -hmm. Are you getting a bit unsettled now? Can you see things are going to go wrong? Irene's wise mind begins to assess the process. She thinks to herself, this is just a tiny moment in the entirety of my life. It's coming on, and this feeling of positivity too will soon dissipate. Irene understands why she's feeling this way and recognises that her mind is labelled and identified with a good experience, and now a host of other positive things are making an inner appearance. She momentarily embraces all this as feelings of pleasure are nice, and so she grants herself time to indulge, but eventually her inner wisdom tells her it will pass, so not to cling on to this, as that will turn into a negative experience once the feeling, once the feeling has run its course. So while acknowledging what's happening, she lessens her identification with this process and keeps it in perspective. And I suppose otherwise, this is what leads to kind of addictive behaviour, isn't yeah. it? I've won once, yeah. I can win again. Yeah. And you could easily get drawn into a kind of hedonistic treadmill of gambling addiction mm-hmm. and things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you need to feel that rush, that adrenaline, that positiveness. Um, so, what does Irene do? This was a positive experience, and Irene has reframed it into a meaningful one. Okay. Um, she, with wisdom, she knows that things are continually changing. She thinks of how her mind tried to make it an over-the-top experience, but her wisdom of the human condition made the situation better. She was able to embrace all the things that happened to her without clinging on to anything, and she accepts and turns her judgments and experiences 
uh, into compassion. She starts to think about other people who have been less fortunate, mm. and might not have had the opportunity to buy nice things, um, who might not even have the money to buy a raffle ticket, who might not have any possessions, who might live on the streets. So she thinks that she's extremely lucky, irrespective of this one ring, and wishes everyone in the world could have enough to be happy and content. Mm. So, biscuit snaffling. Yeah. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? Um, so, really, this is about, you know, judgment. We think when we talk about mindfulness and being free of judgment, we're thinking those in terms of judging other people. But actually, it's about internalizing that on ourselves and thinking, how can I reframe this situation to prevent it turning into a negative cycle? You know, yes, I see this as a positive thing, or yes, I see this as a negative thing, and that's okay. But what I don't want to do is let that turn into a spiral of attachment or a spiral of unhappiness because everything passes. And by finding those conditions for gratitude in my life, then that can free me of this judgmental psyche. Yeah, so it's about keeping your mind in the present mm. moment. And if you're able to do that, you're definitely a hoopy fruit who clearly knows where his tail is. A hoopy fruit? A hoopy fruit. What is a hoopy fruit? Well, hitchhiker's fans will know. The hoopy fruit, he clearly knows where his toe is. Don't upset them. Don't upset the hitchhiker fans. <laughs> right, anyway, if if you want to write to Hayley in great depth and detail, <laughs> filling her in on her missing knowledge about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or you want to talk to us about judgment, um, we can do that. You can do that. You can find us on Facebook, where we are One Together CIC. You can email us where our email address is onetogethercic at gmail.com or you can contact us through our website which is onetogethercic.co.uk oh, Here I am, growing the size of planets. <laughs> but this was Growing the Good, the, the Mindful, Mindful Podcast, Podcast and we'll, we'll see, see you next, next time. time. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast. <laughs>